Shabbat Shalom. Our parashah this Shabbat is Yitro, uh, named after Moses' father-in-law. I've given it an additional title. I've called it, He Isn't Safe, But He's Good. Some of you remember know what that allusion is, too. Okay, Yitro spans Exodus chapters 18 through 20 and is among the, among the most significant in all the Torah, describing Israel's encounter with God at Mount Sinai and receiving the Ten Commandments. Yitro, Jethro, comes to Moses with Zipporah and Moses' two sons, Gershom and Eliezer, Moses and all of Israel are camped at Horeb, the Mount of God. Moses tells his father-in-law of all the wonderful things God did for them. And Yitro rejoices. He exuberantly declares his faith in Adonai. He offers sacrifices and shares a meal with Moses and the elders of Israel. So it appears that Moses' Midianite father-in-law has become a true believer, a beautiful foreshadowing of people from all nations coming to faith in the God of Israel. Question, what do you do when your father-in-law starts offering advice on how to run your business? Anyone? No, just kidding. Well, Jethro sees that Moses is single-handedly hearing every dispute for the entire nation, and it's taking all day. He suggests Moses appoint godly, trustworthy leading men to judge and to settle local disputes, and Moses only take the difficult cases. By delegating, Moses will be a more effective and enduring leader. Moses takes his father-in-law's advice, which is a sign of wisdom and of humility. (laughs) Question, what happens when an infinite being breaks into time and space? Chapter 19 gives us a picture of it. Israel is encamped at Horeb, And God summons Moses up the mountain. He has a proposal. In a manner consistent with the making of covenant treaties in the ancient Near East, God sets forth an historical prologue, a recounting of the events that led up to that very day. And it forms the basis of the covenant that he's offering to Israel. He gives Moses these words to tell the people. Atem re'item asher asiti lemitzrayim. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. God reminds Israel how he rescued them, offering to enter into covenant with them, saying, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Moses returns off the mountain and tells the people God's words. And this was their response. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Uh Uh-huh. 
So Moses returns up the mountain to bring their answer to God. Not that God didn't know already, but covenants involve formality and solemnity. And Moses is the official mediator. But it sure is a lot of schlepping up and down a mountain for an 80-year-old man. God tells Moses explicitly that the people are to consecrate themselves for two days and to be ready on the third day to encounter the creator of the universe. They are further warned not to approach the mountain, not even touch it. God's presence will render that mountain holy, and anyone whose curiosity gets the better of them will forfeit their life. To preclude that possibility, God directs that a perimeter be set around the mountain. I don't think they had yellow barrels or orange barrels at the time, but be that as it may. That third day dawned amid lightning, the sound of thunder, fire, and smoke, and the earth shook. A great trumpet blast was heard from heaven, and a thick cloud settled over the mountain. The top of the mountain was engulfed in fire as God descended upon it, and the smoke ascended as from a furnace. My people were understandably terrified. (laughs) Then God summoned Moses to come up the mountain and to bring Aaron with him. And boy, it's at times like that that you're really glad someone else has chosen to go. This, by the way, reveals the foolishness of the claim that Jewish people don't need a middleman, but can go right to God. Really? On that day when Israel encountered Adonai at Mount Sinai, nobody said any such foolish thing. People like to define God on their own terms, you know, cool and hip and easygoing, but that's because they've never encountered him. He is who he is. He is a consuming fire. Chapter 20 opens with God giving Moses and Israel and eventually the world his 10 commandments. These 10 statutes form the basis of a lawful, peaceful, and just society. Here they are. You are to have no gods but the Lord. You are not to make images of so-called deities or offer them worship. You are not to use Adonai's name cavalierly or with false intent. You are to honor the Sabbath day and rest in it as God rested. You are to honor, meaning to obey, add weight to the reputation of your father and mother. You are not to commit murder. You are not to commit adultery. You are not to steal. You are not to lie or perjure yourself. You are not to covet people or things that belong to others. And there we have it. Simple, straightforward, and beneficial if we'll simply obey them. But beyond the benefits and the blessings that might accrue to us for obedience, these were the terms of God's covenant, like it or not. They aren't recommendations. They are directives. Nor are they up for negotiation. 
God, the sovereign one who set us free and conquered our oppressors is the one who sets the terms of the covenant. He offered it to us and we accepted his offer and it was with this understanding. The same may be said of the new covenant. God, the creator, sets the terms. Whether you like them or dislike them is irrelevant. If you want to be in a relationship with him and to enjoy the eternal and unfathomable benefits of that covenant, you must come on his terms. His terms? That you confess your sins, acknowledge Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah and Redeemer, and ask that the blood of his covenant be applied to you. If you do this, you will have complete forgiveness and everlasting life. But if there's one big, big takeaway from Parashah Yitro, it is this. Do not play games with the Almighty. He is and always will be a consuming fire.